straight from WCHL Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it's the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. This week, climbing the fence into the yard is Stadium Network college basketball insider Jeff Goodman. Also, the brothers talk Super Bowl aftermath. And I, along with millions of moms, girlfriends, and wives, applaud the end of the football season. I mean, what? What? Football's not over. The AAF? What in the world is AAF? What the? Uh-uh. But no, mm-mm. I better get out of here before I set something on fire. I gotta go. No, let me out of here. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. Sibling Rivalry Sports! Playtel Records presents the Sibling Rivalry Collection. All your favorite sports tracks in one collection for your living room or den. Featuring Smooth, the Athletic.com artist, C.L. Brown, with hits like I'm Right Again, They're Playing Basketball, Low Down Dirty Shame, also known as the NFL song, Midnight Train to Minneapolis, duet with Gladys Knight. The Sibling Rivalry Collection, also with hits from Thunder Sports co-host Chris Brown, such as I Told You KC Wasn't Going, The Loyalist to the Tune of the Gambler, Sport Built for a King Remake featuring LL Cool J, and Am I My Brother's Scorekeeper. Tune in to see how you can get your copy at the end of the broadcast. Over to yet, get your feel right now with Sibling Rivalry Sports, CL! Let's go. I feel like we should get the stylistics as a guest or something with with that intro. Them old school record collection (laughs) commercials. Just give us a bar. Just give us a quick bar from the stylistics. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not singing for you, Sammy. Hey, listen, man. Listen, Chevy Chase. Listen, I saw, I I, I got that idea because I saw... I recently saw, I don't even know where it was, but I saw one of those old school commercials, <laughs> you know, the KTEL, and I was like, we don't, we have nothing like that no. anymore, right? Probably good. Well, they still make those uh, Music Now CD yeah, compilations yeah. or whatever, right. but, but still but the commercials, it's not the same. Though, yeah, it's not the same. Good thing, though, CL, good thing they aired those commercials during afternoon cartoons, because otherwise, <laughs> like, who's buying this? You know, why would they be airing that? Well, we know about it. No, my brother, you've got to buy your. <laughs> That's classic, 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 classic. All right. Well, let's get on with the big playback. Bring it on. The big payback. Loan us your consonant, and we will tell you no lies. Uh, this week's topic. This week's topic. Super teams versus traditional dynasties, which is for better basketball, which makes for better basketball. Super teams of today, traditional dynasties of yesteryear. CL. This all started, let the people know, this all started from a conversation uh, we were having with a childhood friend. Chris Mack back in Winston Salem, who is He's waxing doing a great job nostalgic. Coaching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> waxing nostalgic about the old days and how he appreciated teams that were built a certain way through the draft and they just stayed loyal to their teams. And this is all in light of the NBA free agency trade deadline coming up and and news that Anthony Davis 
uh, was was basically saying he's not going to resign with New Orleans, and all the speculation being that Rich Paul, LeBron's James boy from way back in the day, is is his agent is Anthony Davis's agent. So all signs point to Anthony Davis to the Lakers. So all that being said, this is how the conversation came up, and I told Chris. First of all, that that he's he's turned into a get off my lawn, er, <laughs> if you will. But that there have always been super teams. They, they, there's never been a time where uh, players or or management didn't try and get the best players of their day on one team. The only difference between then and now is the players are putting together the super teams now, not the management putting together the super teams now. And so I don't have any problem with players having control. The NBA is such a player-centric league compared to the other uh, major sports organizations that I I have zero problem if Anthony Davis wants to go play for the Lakers and join LeBron and try and get somebody else, a third player there in free agency, then so be it. Is that not glorified or kind of the ultimate level of playground, you know, b-ball? Like, who you got? I got next. All right, let's pick who you got. This is who I got. I got him, him, him. Yet, CL, yet. I will say that to me it is different because of the uncertainty going forward. It seems like with the teams that were built – Back in the day, you know, the 80s, the 90s, the, the, the 70s, even the teams that were built because these players were brought to these teams. And they, it seems like they had a more, a more long view of it, you know, uh, when they were building the teams. And if you think about like I was looking at I look, looking at some information about the uh, the 96 Bulls, which some call the best team of all time. Would you agree with that, CL? No. Who is that? They were a good team, not the best of all times. Do you have one prepared or no? No, I don't. Have, not, I don't not like I don't, you were supposed to. I'm just saying. I don't have one prepared, but I, I, I generally don't. It's hard to compare errors, man. It really is. I mean, they were a great team, but it's it's hard to compare errors. You you can look at one of the Golden State teams that's won here recently, and the way that the three point game or the three point shot is used in today's game is totally different than how it was used back then. The way that physical defensive play was allowed back then totally different than how they do now. You can't it's it's hard to say how what style is going to win out, but I do know 3 is more than 2, so as much junk as people talk from back in the day if there's a three point line and Steph Curry is pulling from 40 feet, how how are you going to defend that? Well, Magic Johnson, <laughs> he, he doesn't have any problem, you know, uh, back in 2017 saying that his, his Lakers would sweep Golden State. I love that. I love reading about that. But of course he would. But every everybody who played for a major, you know, a championship quality team, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, they would, uh, you know, Golden State would beat us right. with the Lakers. But you they know. wouldn't come out and say, we would sweep them. I mean, Why that's pretty they? bold. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? But but let's okay. You bring up the Lakers, though. Yeah. So, uh, get, getting back to my point that management put together the super super teams back then, the Lakers. How in the world? I still think back to James Worthy in '82 going number one overall in the NBA draft to the Lakers because <laughs> and they had just just coming off a championship. Uh, Magic Johnson yeah. the same way in '79. They weren't coming off the title then, but. 
for them to acquire the number one overall pick through through some trades. I don't even remember all of the people that were involved with these trades that they made, yeah. but they were essentially junk trades. They weren't involving Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers sure. that were the yeah. Magic turned out to be. Right. So, um, I mean, you had a lot of bad management back then, too, that allowed these kind of things to happen. Well, okay, so yeah, the, on on one end of the trade was bad management. On the other end was a, a, a diamond, you know, was gold, which is what the Lakers got. Also, the Bulls, you got to say, the '96 Bulls uh, and and the moves they made to bring Kerr and and you know the the role, the kind of humble role players that they brought to the team that helped them to make that three championship run. You know, they so so there, there's that longevity per se that I was talking about. You know, they they brought these guys and they pretty much were able to stick to it. I saw one writer who uh, let's see, what was the book? There's a book called How the Goat Was Built, um, and and it was about that '96 team. You know, how how the greatest team of all time. That the author, I'll tell you the author in a second, but yeah, he was saying that there are basically two two Bulls teams. There is a first three championships and then the second three championships. But either way. You know, it just seemed like the longevity, and you had players that played in both of those quote eras, if you will. The longevity seemed to be there, whereas right now, because of free agency and that freedom, it doesn't seem to me that there's longevity, which is why I prefer. That's what that's my point. See, I prefer the the guys before. Well, how, how's that any different than what Golden State did? Golden State drafted Steph Curry. Joe Golden State drafted Clay Thompson. And yes, they had a free agent come add to the mix, but they won, they won a title before KD got there. Let's be clear about that. Who's you know the coach? CL. Steve Curry. <laughs> uh, so, hey, hey, he doesn't make those decisions though. This is this is above him. And and the fact that yes, some of it was organic, but yes, some of it is you know the the mixing and matching of of guys being free agents and wanting to play there and and you know. Uh, they lose guys too from Harrison Barnes being an example of somebody who yeah. was there and he went elsewhere in free agency. So there, there's a lot of mixing and matching today's game, but that that doesn't make it any worse than uh, than how teams used to be quote unquote put together back then. In, in fact, it, to me, it's 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 really in a lot of ways similar. You make a good point, CL. The, the name of the book, by the way, I just want to give him props since I use stuff from his book, How the Goat Was Built, Six Life Lessons from the 1996 Chicago Bulls by Jack M. Silverstein. Uh, I think that book would easily be acquired, you know, if you went and looked for a PDF or something online. All right. Well, it is time for us to move on. CL, what we got coming up? Great guest lined up today. One of the best in the business, Jeff Goodman. Uh, basketball analyst at Stadium. He will be our guest today, and uh, we're we're in the thick of it now. NFL is over. It's all about college hoops. Take center over. center stage. Football isn't over. We'll get to that later, folks. <laughs> Come on back to Sibley Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. Coming up, joining us, we have one of the best reporters in all of basketball, whether it's college, whether it's NBA, whether you're talking recruiting scene, Jeff Goodman, basketball analyst at Stadium. Welcome to the show, Jeff. What's up, CL? How are you? 
I've been all right, man. It's it's the the meat of the season now in conference play. I'm loving it right now. I know, me too, me too. This is where you kind of, you know, it's all the bubble talk every day, and uh, guys are fighting uh, for NCAA tournament bids, fighting for their jobs. It's there's just more on the line now, so it is good. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, I wanted to start close to home here and in the triangle and and, kind of cover some of our our local schools. And we're we're seeing North Carolina right now get on. uh, I feel like the light switch has turned on for them right now. They've won six straight since they lost to uh, Louisville. And from your perspective, what what do you feel like they're doing differently now that, that, you know, was inconsistent beforehand? Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I saw them play multiple times early, and uh, I saw them play in Vegas, and they lost to Shaka Smart in Texas, and Roy was upset with the way they played, and then they, they bounced back, played well against a crappy UCLA team, and then I was there in Chicago when they lost to Kentucky at the United Center. So I've seen Roy multiple times now not being overly excited, and then you watch him get blown out at home to Louisville. Um but I just felt like all along they've got pretty good pieces. You know, the biggest thing for me was, uh, which Roy usually is, is kind of stubborn in doing, is playing small. You know, he loves to play with two bigs. And unfortunately, their bigs aren't what they usually are. I mean, listen, yeah. you know, the, the, the academic fraud investigation um, really hurt them in terms of recruiting uh, big men, you know, with, with, with that class of Garrison Brooks, Sterling Manley, and I don't even remember the third dude's name right now. Brandon Huffman. Plays from Alabama. Yeah. Huffman. Huffman, yeah. So I think that's part of the problem is if you got big time two bigs and you can play Luke May with a true five who's really good, you do it. But to me, because Garrison Brooks hasn't been great and Manley's been hurt and not great, to me I would just throw Nasir Little in there at the four, see what you got with him, and see if his confidence goes up, um, get, get him more reps, you know, obviously at the four, he's a tougher matchup, and we've seen it with other players around the country. Um, involving, you know, one at Duke years ago with Justice Winslow, you put him at the four, they're just a tougher matchup. Um, so I, I think being able to do that, um, I think helps him. And Kobe White certainly getting more reps at the point. I talked to him earlier in the year, and he said, listen, it's hard for me right now because I've never had to worry about anything other than just scoring the basketball. Yeah. Uh, and now i got to run an offense. And think about everybody else, and um, but I, I like the team. I mean, I do. I think if Kenny Williams can, you know, get on track and, and start to really make some shots. But Luke May's been better. Um, you know, Kobe White's capable of going for twenty, and any and Cam Johnson's been great. So you got three guys that I think are high, high level dudes. And then again, Kenny Williams, even if he's not making shots, guard. And this year, little just keep coming a little bit each game, and by the end of the year. I'm not going to say he's going to do what Marvin Williams did at the end of the year, but if he can come close, that'd be good. Yeah. Do you, do you see them as being uh, maybe a a notch below the Duke in Virginia uh, in the in the league? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I see like them in the next tier. There's like a top six or seven teams, and I'm not even sure they're that far off now from Michigan and Michigan State. Everybody had elevated Michigan and Michigan State to a different level nationally. But I think there's probably four, in my opinion, there's four 
right now that are at a different level in terms of like talent and everything. And it's it's Duke, obviously, Gonzaga, Virginia, and Kentucky. I think those are your four best teams at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to save Kentucky for later, but since since you mentioned them, um, it's funny. It seems like Kentucky got got going once they beat Carolina. Like I, I felt like earlier in the year yeah. they were just kind of of shambles, and then you know, uh, Quade Green decides he's going to transfer in December, and and uh, uh, things just started to develop for them. Um, what what is it that you've seen out of Kentucky that that you feel like is as you know? Calipari has gotten things together for. No, you're a thousand percent right. If they don't win that game at the United Center, then they have to go into the Louisville game with a lot of pressure on them at Louisville, Mm -hmm. where at least they could exhale a little bit going into the Yum Center and say, like, all right, even if we lose this, not the end of the world. We got one. But if they had lost that, it would have been 0 for 4 in their first four big games. So there would have been a lot of pressure on them going into the Louisville game. Um, Ashton Hagen's big difference. He can run the team. Like you said, Quade Green leaving, probably the best thing because he gave all those minutes to, to Hagens, and he's a defender and a, a facilitator. Hagens is and, and Tyler Hero has been really good lately. Like he, He's not just a shooter, but he's made enough shots, and that, that was something that I think we all worried about with this Kentucky team. Were they going to be good enough shooting the ball from the perimeter? Um, Hero can do more than that, but, but I think now – and he never lost his confidence. He just didn't make shots early. Um, and P.J. Washington's been terrific. But I think a lot of that is, again, with Ashton Hagens running the point yeah. instead of a Quade Green, instead of an Emmanuel Quickly. Hagens is all about getting other guys the ball. You know, like, not not that different in mentality-wise to Trey Jones at Duke. Like, they're similar, right? They both guard. Uh, Trey Jones is a little bit more of a, of a true distributor. But Higgins is getting there. I think he's gotten adjusted. He was a little bit further behind the Trey Jones, partially because he didn't start out of the gates. It was quickly. Yeah, you're reading my mind, Jeff, because I was going to ask you who you felt like the better defender was between Trey Jones of Duke and, and Ashton Higgins. It's hard not to go with Trey Jones after watching what he did to Shamari Pons. Oh, like, that yeah. was insane. Yeah. Insane, right? I mean, Pons is good for 20 almost every night. He went for like 26 uh, at Creighton, 28, I think, uh, against Marquette at Marquette. You know, and Trey Jones just shut him down. And, and it was it was shocking to watch because Shamari Pons is like a killer. Yeah. And uh, Trey, Trey's fun. I mean, they're both fun to watch. I, any freshman that guards like that out of the gates is freshman. you got to love them because it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, yeah. Well, sticking with Duke, right now they're shooting 30.8%. I think it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to be the worst shooting three-point team in in Duke history. Uh, Can they overcome? I mean, does that even matter? I mean, is that something they have to overcome in order to get where they want to get, which is Minneapolis and cutting down nets? Or will three-point shooting be the demise of Duke? Well, you're telling me it's 30.8, and the first two games they shot the hell out of it. So after the first two games, my guess is probably like 27, 28%. Now, the good thing is they're 20 and two with all that. The bad thing is all it takes is one in the NCAA tournament and you're gone. And uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, on one hand, I say to myself, does it really matter? Throw it off the rim and go let Zion go get it. I mean, it's just (laughs) insane 
I'm doing something tomorrow. I talked to um, a dozen guys who primary defenders who played against Zion and got their thoughts. I did it last oh, year yeah. for Trey Young. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting. It was just interesting to hear, you know, how they would guard him, what the most surprising thing uh, was of, of, of Zion and how he how he handled himself. And, you know, one of the things somebody said, Matt Mitchell of San Diego State said, it's like he's flying. It looks like he's flying <laughs> when you play against him. Um, and that's what I mean. Like, like sometimes their best offense can just be – throw it out the rim and let Zion and, and RJ go attack. Yeah. Um, so they don't necessarily have to make shots, but I don't think they can, in, in a Final Four game, I think they're going to have to make enough shots from the perimeter. And it was interesting because, you know, like early on in the year, everybody was like, oh, Cam Reddish, he's an elite shooter. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I said, no, like I've seen him play uh, you know, 50 times. He's not an elite shooter. Like he's not. They don't. They don't have an elite shooter. Alex O'Connell is probably their best shooter, and they can't really find a way to get him on the court. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried about it, but I still think they can win. And a night when they go two for 19 from three, they, they still can beat pretty good teams. Can they beat a, a, a Virginia, a Gonzaga, um, another elite team like that? Uh, that I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Duke, Virginia, Saturday, uh, the the rematch, Duke won the first, and Cameron without Trey Jones. Uh, what do you see? How do you see that playing out? Who, who's your pick on that one? Virginia, I, I think. I think in Virginia, you know how much home court advantage means in college basketball. Yeah. Um, I, I like this Virginia team a lot. Uh, they just missed. They missed a lot of open shots in Cameron, and they've beaten them in Cameron last year. Um, they haven't played great lately, and I guess a lot of it's going to depend on Ty Jerome. You know, like, does he play? Is he healthy? Um, because he, he's been hurt, and if he doesn't, if he's not close to 100%, he's probably their most valuable overall player. You know, he's got the size, he can distribute, he can make shots. He's kind of a cold-blooded killer, but, like, quietly does it. Kyle Guy gets more attention. Uh, DeAndre Hunter gets more because of his NBA stock, but I'll tell you what, you take Todd Jerome off that team, they're nowhere near um, what they what they should be or what they usually are. So I would say um, I, I'll go with Virginia as long as Todd Jerome plays. Gotcha. So so those are the teams that are doing well at the moment. Let's, let's go to the other side for a second. Um, NC State, they've lost three straight, two in – Probably what I'd say embarrassing fashion uh, to Virginia Tech and, and Carolina. The Carolina game wasn't close. They they you know closed it late with with uh, some scoring. But sh- is this just a byproduct of a tough schedule? I mean, it's those were three legit top fifteen teams that they lost to in a row. So in, on one hand, there's no no shame in that. But uh, it, should they be concerned over in Raleigh, or is this just kind of a byproduct of that schedule? I think here's my take. Going into the season, I had NC State as a fringe tournament team. I've said it all year. Like, I don't think, you know, again, when you're at seven left, I think that, that hurt Keith, although he wasn't perfect for his system. But but he gave you a, a, certainly a guy who could score down low, who gotten a lot better um, in the last year under, under Keats. Um, I just felt like this team is, is good, but they're not great. I mean, you know, Markel Johnson's a really good player. Torn Dorn's good player, not not great. Um, and then they had some other transfers. You know, we didn't know how good Braxton Beverly was going to really be. Um, 
you know, obviously the C.J. Bryce coming over uh, with him. So it was one of those things where I just felt like early on when people were putting them in the top 15 or 20, I was looking at their resume and saying, why? And then I looked at it, and I brought it up a couple times over the last month. Like, they had beaten up on some bad teams, eight teams that were 275 or worse in, the, in, in Ken Palm, and their net was high because they were destroying those crappy teams, and their efficiency um, rating was way up because of that. Yeah. So I don't think they, like, took advantage of the system. I think it just worked out that way because yeah. nobody knew what the net was going to be before the year and that it was going to cap scoring margin but not cap efficiency. And I think they just started pounding these teams, and maybe they did figure it out after a few games. I'm like, hey, all right, you know what? If we beat these teams by 50, it's going to help us. Um, but, again, they eight teams, 275 or above. So the only team they've beaten of any note this year is Auburn. And, oh, by the way, Auburn's not the Auburn of last year. So I don't know. I'm still kind of torn on them. I think they could be a tournament team. Um, but, you know, again, they got the gift. They really should be – they should have lost their last five. I mean, Marquise Reed yeah. misses four free yeah. throws at the end of the game. They should have lost that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the teams that they did lose to uh, at Wake Forest, and Wake Forest right now is, is certainly struggling in the bottom uh, part of the ACC. You were the first one to report on, on Danny Manning's buyout situation. Yeah. I think the number was $18 million at Wake Forest. But the way that they are struggling, I, I know the win in overtime against Pittsburgh was kind of a relief to to break a five game losing streak. Uh, how do you how do you kind of assess you know the situation for Manning at Wake Forest? Uh, does he survive this year? Well, I think Ron Wellman should be fired. Okay. I mean, ultimately, I think that's the first thing you do. Is like, all right, you hired Jeffrey Zellick and now Danny Manning. Like, how much longer do these ads get? You know, and Ron Wellman, a good good guy, really like him. But, like, when is there some accountability for the athletic directors and say, all right, that, that's it? You know, and, and I, don't, I think he's done just okay football-wise, too. I don't think he's killed it uh, by any means when it comes to, you know, you look back and, and right, who he's called well, uh, right, Jim Grove. Like, he's done a decent job, Clawson. But, like, none of them have been great by any means. Um, so his hires have the, the best hire he made was Skip Prosser, the late Skip Prosser, who was terrific. Yeah. And um, so I, I listen to me, it would shock me if Danny Menon gets another year. I think these schools they understand at the end of the day, um, if you're losing like this, yeah, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to buy them out, but you're losing a lot of money by not getting anybody in the seats. Yeah. So you hate to speculate, but. But certainly, I think Danny Manning's tenure um, looks like it's going to come to a close after this season, even uh, with the unbelievable contract uh, that he got, again, from Ron Wellman. And, and that's where I think if you're Ron Wellman, you're on the hook here. You gave him a guaranteed deal when you had – there's no reason you had to. These ADs don't get it sometimes. They're like bidding against themselves. Where was Danny Manning going? <laughs> Nowhere. You, you don't need to give him all this guaranteed money, CL. Yeah. Just have a low buyout. At the end of the day, what? Where? Danny Manning's not going to Kansas. He's going nowhere. I, I, so again, these ads sometimes are so dumb, and they don't think about it. And and that's where I think again, Ron Wellman should be on the hook. 
Yeah, I guess it's it's cheaper to keep her, as the song goes. I guess <laughs> I guess that's the mentality sometimes. But uh, our time is is come to an end, Jeff. Uh, man, this has been this has been great. Dropping knowledge as as usual, uh, folks out there. You can follow him on Twitter at Goodman Hoops. Uh, and don't again, do he's don't tell him the phone. <laughs> nobody, nobody needs that. No, nobody, especially when my wife looks at my Twitter. You know, all I do is get an earful because <laughs> uh, I can be a little bit of a of, of a immature um, knucklehead at times. But you know, I have fun. You know that. No doubt. I miss you. I miss you. You know that, and uh, I'm glad you're doing well there. And I, I gotta appreciate get, it. I got to get out of this cold northeastern weather. And get, <laughs> you know, get down there at some point. Although it was. It was like 65 degrees for the latest uh, parade that we had here in Boston. Oh, wow. We have a lot of those, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, <laughs> not, n- n- I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'll tell well, you that well, off here. But, all right, uh, all right. <laughs> hey, it's been great, Jeff. We, we, again, appreciate you coming on with us, and you'll have to come back sometime. Absolutely. Thanks, you Appreciate Thank you. it, man. All right, take care. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. And so we are a week out from the Super Bowl. We just thought we'd just revisit it really quickly so you can get, you know, the perspectives from your boys, the backyard brawl on this contest. And uh, I just, right right off the bat... I will say that I'm sure it did not set off, you know, the bells and alarms and everything that maybe some wanted to be set off. And that was because you had an interesting perfect storm combination, CL, of the Patriots gaming somebody and Belichick stepping in and doing what I've known him to do so many years. And it seemed like it had disappeared in the last couple years where he because he is a defensive guru. He is defensive in his coaching mind. Set. And so it's, but it seemed like recently, especially props, props to the Steelers, see what, what the Steelers did to them this year. I started to say, you know what, the Patriots kit couldn't defend a small baby. I mean, they, they, they just, the Steelers just ran through them and, you know, they, they had problems stopping anyone this year. And I'm thinking, where is that Belichick defense? We just saw it in the Super Bowl. That is Bill Belichick defense. Well, I think part of that too, though, had to do with uh, a quarterback who, and Jared Goff, who, I mean, I'm not calling him inexperienced, but on that stage he is and was until now. So if he ever gets back there, I'm sure he'll be the better for for this experience. But um, I felt like the Rams probably, and not to mention Todd Gurley's situation, which it still isn't isn't totally clear. Apparently, when they had their last uh, media access, Gurley was not made available to talk or or they put out the message that he wasn't talking or whatever. So there's still kind of the cloudiness over how truly healthy was he. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that that obviously changed the game plan and and took away one of their one of their best weapons. Or at least, you know, had he been fully healthy, sure. things might have gone a little bit differently. But, you know, I mean, hats off to the Patriots. Um, I don't really like talking about them too much, giving them too much credit. As I said before, I think they've probably got a couple of those rings 
that should have been Pittsburgh Steelers rings or could have been <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers rings. Definitely could have been Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl appearances. Wait, those, are you talking about Deflate Gate? Is that one of them? championship game. No, no, I'm not bringing okay. up Deflate. I'm saying they beat Pittsburgh when seasons I thought Pittsburgh could have been in the Super Bowl. So, and two of those were AFC championship games that, that sure. Pittsburgh lost to them. So, you know. You know, those wait, are your boys. Well, well, see, first of all, before I address that, first of all, are, wait, are you saying that they beat the Steelers fair and square, or are you saying that they should not have beaten the Steelers? I'm saying it's fair and square. Oh, I'm okay, saying Pittsburgh. Okay, law. Okay. I'm not trying okay. to Sorry, insinuate no, okay. that Sorry. they somehow cheated the Steelers. I'm right. saying they have rings that Pittsburgh should have because they beat the Steelers in a year, in years where Pittsburgh was good enough to win it, is what I'm saying. Oh, Okay. But CL, if they were good enough, they wouldn't have lost. <laughs> no, they they were good enough to win it. I mean, I, I didn't say Pittsburgh was better than them. I said Pittsburgh was good, good enough, enough to, to win go it. to the bowl and beat whoever New England beat. They were good enough to win it. Okay. All right, CL. Well, see, I thought you were going to take kind of one of my texts, which is that that deflate gate year, people forget who the main deflate gate game was against the Baltimore Ravens. In New England, whooping that tail with two 14 point leads in the game. I New England it was had Indianapolis. No, no, Indianapolis. No, no, that, that was uh, that was a championship. That was after Baltimore. That was after Baltimore. It started in that game where they were playing the Ravens. That's where, and they also had those illegal formations. You that, always wanted, you always trying to get the Ravens credit for something. <laughs> the Ravens were running over the league that year. Don't flatten the balls. Just take an L, buddy. And then now we got more Ravens rings. You want to talk about more rings? Well, to flip it back on you, if the Ravens were good enough, they would have won the game. They were up by 14 twice. That? They were good enough. They, they weren't good listen. enough if they hey, lost 14 the air, lead. Take the air out of the ball. Well, you know, heck, you know what? You're right. I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, ultimately, that's what it is. You just got to win no matter what. I, I, the one thing, um, the one thing about Sunday that I think is just uh, undeniable is uh, Brady. I just think the the difference of experience, um, inexperience of the starting quarterbacks, that that meant so much. And uh, Josina Anderson, Carolina alum, tweeted something out today. Uh, you know, she she's an ESPN NFL Live and uh, analyst and commentator. She she tweeted out today that someone from the Rams roster was on the phone with her, and they said. We is a, clearly as a defender. They said we just needed one touchdown, JoJo. Just one I'm, touchdown. I'm splitting hairs here, but that tweet said a defensive source. That doesn't necessarily mean that person was a player on the Rams. It doesn't necessarily mean that. First of all, props to you. Props to you for for knowing exactly what I was talking about. But I thought it did specify those Rams. It said it's from the Rams. It said defensive source. You got it. Right there? I don't have it up right now, but I read the tweet. It said a defensive source. So it didn't specify as the Rams? No. with the A source with the Rams doesn't necessarily mean a defensive source with the Rams <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean a Rams defender. So, so CL, who's that going to be? You're, it's not Wade there, Phillips there calling her JoJo. You think Wade Phillips like, hey, JoJo? <laughs> in the organization, that could be, you, you don't know. I mean, I'm not even going to speculate. You don't know who that could be. That could be a lot of different people so who, you who are who have ties to the team, who are who are either in the organization in some way, shape, or form. It could be somebody who's not in the organization technically, you know, who's just who just knows uh, knows their thinking, knows has some kind of ties to to what the Rams are doing. 
But all that being said, if you hold the Patriots to 13 points, you should expect to win that game. I mean, you know, the defense did their job for the Rams. It was the offense, that high-powered offense that came up short. True, and I think what you said about Gurley is that's probably a main key. All right, well, we got to go, and uh, let's put the key in the ignition and, and, and take off so that we can listen to some of our – that was a very awkward transition, CL, but I'm trying to do my best. Uh, <laughs> let's just send it to some of our uh, sponsors who keep us on the air. We're thankful for them, and then come on back for the brownout here on Sibling Rivalry Sports, 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. And now let's get our chill on with the brownout. The brownout. Topic numero uno. The Rams-Patriots Super Bowl was a dud of a game. What's the worst Super Bowl of your memory? So there were plenty of games that I can think of that the blowout Super Bowls that weren't enjoyable to watch. Bears, Patriots, uh, Broncos, 49ers. Um, But I think the worst one to my memory that that I was just like, man, like I'm going to fall asleep was the Rams Titans. Because I felt like for 75, 80 percent of that game, it was boring. And then things kind of came alive in the fourth quarter a little bit. But um, I just, that game was just like, blah. Interesting. Even even the long Kurt Warner touchdown passes, that, that didn't, that did nothing for you? Honestly, I don't even remember those long passes because <laughs> the rest of the game was just, it was just like, blah. And I wasn't too excited about the two teams in and of themselves either. Like, right. it's like, yeah. Well, you know, looking back on um, the Washington Redskin Denver Bronco Super Bowl, actually in the in the moment, I, you know, I was an AFC guy, so I was trying to go for Denver somehow. But uh, everybody I was watching the game with, this was actually in the Hinton James Lounge. Huh. Everybody I was watching the game with was going for the Redskins. Looking back, though, that's a historic game. I mean, that was that was an incredible game, even though you know it was a blowout. Um, that still was an incredible game to look back on, and it's better than some of these other games that you're talking about or what have you. Now, I generally enjoy Super Bowls. I generally just enjoy watching them. I enjoyed it Sunday. Yet, CL, I have to say, I would be lying if I didn't say that I think that that was the most boring one of all time. <laughs> I think that that was the most boring Super Bowl of all time. It, and, and you know what? Time's not going to be kind to it, CL. I think as we get further away, people are going to be like, that thing was a dud. Well, you know what, though? I think if if that's truly the end of the Brady-Belichick-Patriots dynasty, then m- maybe not. Maybe, maybe oh. it'll just be viewed as this capped off theirs and oh. nobody really be concentrating on the game itself. Good point. Next, Next question. question. Art Bryles interviewed for the offensive coordinator position at Southern Miss, but the interim athletic director stepped in to end his candidacy. Should Bryles be given a chance to coach in college football again? Art Bryles should not ever step foot on a college campus to coach football again. And I say that because of, you're talking about, if in a pro situation, I feel like that'd be different, but you're talking about trying to mold, in in case of football, young men. If you were coaching some other sport, it'd be young women or whatever else. But you're talking about 
going into parents' homes, convincing them, your kid is going to be all right under me. I'm going to help this kid grow into a man or a woman. And given everything that happened at Baylor under his watch, and and a lot of stuff reports are he was complicit to some of the things, uh, uh, trying to cover up things and that nature. No business. To me, there's no forgiving that. Do I, Does he deserve to work again? Of course he does. You know, this is still America. And he didn't, you know, this is still America. He, he deserves a second chance, but that doesn't mean he should, let him clean that doesn't mean he should be in college football. Oh, okay. All right. So you wouldn't let him, like, put the lines down on the field or anything like that? No. <laughs> oh, wow. CL. Uh, yeah, I, I am a believer in... Um, you know, I am a believer in forgiveness, second chances, that type of thing. The question is, did he learn his lesson? And I think there's still thing, there's still, uh, there's still elements to be played out in that entire situation, right? Yeah. So yeah, still going in front of the uh, committee on infraction. We need to see how that works. What's next? North Carolina's women's basketball team is having a pretty strong run with two top ten upsets. Is there room on the bandwagon? I mean, <laughs> I would say that the bandwagon probably shouldn't be forming just yet. This is a tough ACC. Louisville still out there. Um, Florida State and and uh, Syracuse, very good teams. Uh, I, I I just I don't know if they can continue it. It's 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 nice to see so far to you know just to kind of rejuvenate their season in the middle of it, but. I don't know if this is a role that's going to continue. You know, I would probably agree with you, CL, if it weren't for Paris Key. That senior is something awesome. Something awesome. Somehow I've missed her. I don't know how much she's developed her game, but it just seems like where she is is another level. The way the team's playing is something special. Beating number one at home, beating undefeated. I know, you know, rivals play play up to each other, but undefeated NC State in Raleigh. I don't know. I just really like these four wins they put together, and I'm looking at it and thinking that's the kind of run that winds up in a major championship kind of press. So, I think yes, it's time. You know, yes, this is a good. There's space on the bandwagon. There is space on the bandwagon. <laughs> Next question. The Alliance of American Football marks its inaugural weekend. Do you plan on tuning in? I'll watch the game. I, I mean, it's not going to be destination TV. I, I won't say that, but I, I'm kind of curious how it's going to be, how it's going to play out. I've always felt since the USFL that there there's room for spring football. So, yeah, you know, you. why not give it a look? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching. And, you know, I, I asked just some, some folks around the way, and, you know, typical football fan types, and they are saying that they're going to tune in. I must say, they have done an excellent job with, with PR. They really have done it all right. And right now, they're on five networks, CL. So I think, including the NFL Network, CBS. So, yeah, I think it's going to be fun, and I'm going to follow them, and hopefully it'll fill in some of that gap of football loss after, that I have after Sunday. Well, speaking of gaps, we are on to our gap until next week. Thanks for tuning in to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. I'm C.L. Brown. And I'm Chris Brown. And this is Sibling, Sibling Rivalry, Rivalry Sports. Sports.